CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. I'm Ricky, head of the editorial team here at the IAI. My name is Darcy. I'm also on the editorial team. Today, we've got the psychology of AI featuring groundbreaking philosopher and psychoanalytic theorist Isabel Miller. This took place in 2023 at the How Light Gets In Festival in Hay, the philosophy festival that we produce here at the IAI. So, Darcy, tell us a little bit about this talk. So this is a personal interview with Dr. Isabel Miller in which she discusses her work in kind of challenging uh, some of the assumptions behind artificial intelligence by deploying the tools of psychoanalysis. Pretty fascinating mix. I mean, there's lots of people who have said that AI is kind of akin to something like a psychopath or someone without emotions, a person without emotions. So... I think there's some interesting overlap. And remember, if you enjoy today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit iii.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Now it's time to hand over to Isabel Miller. Okay, Isabel Miller, welcome to How the Light Gets In. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'd like to start by asking you about sort of the origins of your work and what first drew you to using a psychoanalytic lens, specifically a Lacanian lens, particularly in reference to your philosophical studies? Well, I mean, I suppose I started off as a philosopher. That was my first degree. And, and then as I progressed through postgraduate and, and PhD, um, I got more and more interested in psychoanalysis and particularly uh, Lacan and Lacanian psychoanalysis because I felt it was a framework which allowed me to ask very interesting questions and to open up a whole sort of conceptual panoply of of ideas that I think you don't necessarily just get by sticking to philosophical frameworks. So I liked the particular way that the sort of psychoanalytic discovery, as it were, or invention starts to change the way that we approach philosophical questions. So um, when I started my PhD and I was, you know, I was sort of uh, in a sort of Foucauldian, Deleuzean camp, looking at biopolitical questions relating to technology and governance and war. And as I went along with my um, research, I, I kind of felt that the psychoanalytic concepts that I had been sort of imbibing over, over the years were becoming much more useful in answering some of these questions around technology. And so my, my research question got more and more specific until I came up with this uh, question, the psychoanalysis of artificial intelligence, which became my, my PhD thesis. Yeah, and on that, so you, you've obviously used this sort of framework to explore numerous areas, one of which is AI. What, what is it that fascinates you about this relationship between AI and psychoanalysis? Well, it just seemed immediately that they were two territories which were so in need of each other. And from, from, from the side of looking at artificial intelligence, immediately I was struck by how, although there are, of course, critical discourses around artificial intelligence and philosophers 
do and have engaged with it, it was often from the perspective of quite analytical frameworks of philosophy as opposed to continental frameworks of philosophy. And it certainly wasn't, there wasn't much literature in the psychoanalytic camp dealing with questions of, of, of artificial intelligence. And of course, what are some of those most important questions around AI? You know, questions of subjectivity, questions of speech, questions of the body, questions of enjoyment. And these were all the kinds of areas that I thought were sort of begging to be expanded on and, and, and looked at further because around the, the AI research, there were so many sort of assumptions happening to do with um, what we consider to be the human subject, what we consider to be the conscious being and, you know, assumptions around what thinking is, assumptions around what knowledge is. And of course, psychoanalysis is the sort of um, prime discourse that smashes apart any uh, presuppositions about what thinking is, about what knowledge is, and, and really investigates that question. Yeah, and it's, a, it's a, a philosophically rich area. Uh, and you mentioned a couple of words there that really stood out, knowledge and subjectivity, and obviously in AI contains the word intelligence. Mm. How do you understand intelligence and how should we understand intelligence? Well, you know, in, in my book, the sort of one of the first things that I wanted to do, it, it was a big project, so there was, there, I had to find a way of kind of sort of weaving my way into the question. And one of the first things I wanted to do was problematize the notion of intelligence, of course, because when we're talking about artificial intelligence, it seems as if we already know what normal intelligence yeah. is or natural intelligence or real intelligence. And of course, we see very quickly that the concept of intelligence has a whole genealogy that reaches back um, through philosophy and it has, has been shaped by political and, and scientific epistemes throughout history and it's not a simple self-evident concept that we can easily employ. And so first of all I wanted to kind of look at the etymology and the history of the word and think a bit further about what um, conceits we, uh, we slip into when, when we're using that term. And um, once I had done that I sort of wanted to then um, bring in, of course, the, the psychoanalytic armory to then problematize even further the idea of intelligence as, as, a, as a thing that is akin to thought, because actually they're very different concepts. We're not, we're not always speaking about the same thing. Mm. And perhaps it's too reductive to ask, but do you think we can establish one sort of homogenous idea of what intelligence is that's accurate? Well, I think that... I don't think we can, but I think what, that we do in the sense that I think... Certainly, the endeavour of artificial intelligence as a sort of historical, technological movement has attempted to have an idea of what artificial intelligence is, and with that comes a lot of fantasies around the sort of a holistic idea of thought, which actually is quite a, uh, you know, it's an, a very inhuman idea of thought. It's an idea that abstracts thinking from the body and that has this sort of idea of intelligence being something that can be improved exponentially, that can get faster, that can get more efficient. And of course, the history of robotics will show you very quickly that that's not as easy as it looks when you try and take thinking away from a body. So, you know, artificial intelligence itself knows that it's not, it's not one thing, it's, it's many things. And the more that we try and reify the concept of artificial intelligence, the more problems we find with how it's actually related to the body, with speech, with also a lack of knowledge, a lack of intelligence, uh, what we could call stupidity in a sense, which is part of, sort of psychoanalysis yeah. as well. So I'm interested in that because I think, obviously AI is primarily concerned with sort of accelerating progress within society, but if we can't, like you say, reduce intelligence to this one concept, and when we do it's 
misleading. Can we really claim with any certainty to know what progress would look like? No, I don't think we can. And I think what happens is, is we attempt to, to have an idea of the, the ideal human or the ideal uh, society or, or the, the most efficient society. And through this sort of instrumental rationality, a very common term, which has been forgotten often in these circles, we end up creating things that aren't beneficial to humans, that actually are, are sort of degrading to human thinking, degrading to human civilization. We end up extracting certain types of thinking and forgetting other types of thinking. And we forget, obviously, the very central part of thinking, which is the psychoanalytic part, the part of enjoyment, the part which structures the, the very thinking that we employ. And you also talk about this term, uh I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing it correctly, jouissance. Um, could you unpack that a little bit and how it applies to the way we interact with artificial intelligence particularly? Yeah, so, you know, jouissance means enjoyment and, and French, and, but it's a particularly sort of overused term, I think, as well in, in, psycho, in psychoanalytic circles, and it's, it's often sort of a shorthand for anything to do with the sort of murky terrain of sex and uh, libido. But actually, it's got a sort of uh, very interesting history in, in certainly the literature of Lacan, uh, you know, his seminars and also his spoken decrees, which develops through his teaching and it, 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 it develops as a concept throughout his work to try and get to grips with various different structures of thinking and the different ways that um, we can relate knowledge to truth, in a sense. And... You know, of course, it begins as a sort of idea around, you know, in the Freudian sense of libido, in the Freudian sense of, of an enjoyment that sort of flips over into a, a, a suffering. But actually, you know, it goes through various different iterations in Lacan's work. And I won't go through all of them now, but one, one is just the idea that, that language is, part, is a form of jouissance, that speaking itself is what, what human beings are defined by is our sort of most intimate mode of enjoyment and actually this is what structures us as subjects so particularly um, important in psychoanalysis is to think of jouissance as the mode by which a any speaking subject becomes masculine or feminine so in which sense they are positioned within language um, and this is a structure of jouissance we could say yeah, that's a, it's an interesting concept. I'd like to just pick up on one thing that you said before, though, about the technologies uh, within AI in particular. There's obviously a lot of talk about ChatGPT at the moment. Yeah. I was just wondering how you feel about that, and as the use becomes more and more widespread, how, how we should feel about that within society. Well, I think that um, the sort of uses for, of AI for instrumentalising language uh, is kind of an inevitable part of as these types of technologies become more sophisticated. I think it's something that we should have envisaged. I think it was quite clear that that was going to happen. And I think, you know, these lessons are already within psychoanalysis in the sense that this idea of the sort of robotic nature of the symbolic uh, of language, of systems, of meaning, which human beings sort of are born into, that actually aren't particularly human they're they're systems that we inhabit but we don't really choose them yeah. so they're like machines you know when you're born you're born into a language you're born into a system of codes and laws and you to a certain extent cannot decide what those are going to be and you have to mold yourself around them and that sort of like bodily physical experience of being a human being smashed into a system of sim symbols 
produces, you know, the human being who, who goes about its sort of do in its docile body, obeying laws and speaking a language. And so, of course, when you take f forms of that process, like language, and you and you sort of put them into an exponential system, and and then you get at the end of it something like ChatGPT, which of course can extract linguistic systems into all different kinds of directions. You know, you you immediately feel like, oh my God, well, where, where's intelligence going? It's it's come, it's going away from humans, and we're not able to keep hold of it anymore. I sort of feel like that was already happening. That's just a natural part of of the sliding of the signifier that already starts happening with the abstraction of language in the first place. And do you think that this is inevitable? I think it's inevitable, but I think we should be wary of it. And I mm -hmm. think we should be much more in control of our technologies. I think that we need to be much more aware of how they function. I think there needs to be more thinking, uh, hard thinking, philosophical thinking, psychoanalytic thinking in, in artificial intelligence. And it shouldn't be uh, just left to people with huge amounts of money to make uh, these decisions for us. Yeah, I mean, you talk about awareness there. That ties into, obviously, the way you refer and, and interact with these ideas is often with reference to film as a medium. How effective do you think it is? I think it's extremely effective, and I think, you know, for this reason, most of my work always has an element of, of cinema to it in the sense of an analytically, because I... I think it's a, a really interesting way of exploring um, concepts that don't always rely on a text and also don't rely on reality and allow us to play around with possible worlds and possible configurations of things. And particularly in sci-fi, you know, because um, not only do we have all of the fantasy worlds that we can imagine, but we also have the sort of conceptual worlds that sci-fi allows you to play around with, which philosophy can really greatly benefit from when it's taken out of its strictly kind of textual um, uh, yeah. domain, yeah. Sort of beyond language. I, it's interesting, I suppose, because I think most, if you ask the, the sort of layman, uh, in many ways would probably argue that film would be, a, would be somewhat dramatising and distorting, but you see it as the other way around. Well, I think you can read film in different ways. You know, mm. you can read film as a sort of film theorist or even a psychoanalytic film theorist or, you know, a critic, and you can read film on various different levels. And you can watch, for example, you can watch a terrible film but still extract some very interesting philosophical ideas from it. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, a great auteur's making a film because he's brilliant or she's brilliant and she's giving you brilliant ideas. Actually, film does have the capacity to, to be philosophised or to philosophise with it in a way that is different, I think, from just text. Towards the future, um, what's the next area that you're sort of looking at as ripe for psychoanalytic framing, would you say? Well, so the, the, the book I'm working on at the moment is called Patai Politics, and um, this is a book that sort of evolved from the psychoanalysis of AI. Patai Politics is a sort of... Um, development from the work of Foucault and Membe, i.e. biopolitics of Foucault and necropolitics of Akil Membe, looking at the administration of bodies. So pati from the Latin patio to suffer, of course, as we discussed, uh, enjoyment and suffering being a sort of mobus strip. And so what this, this sort of paradigm I'm trying to explore with pati politics is to really try and build on the kind of um, biopolitical work uh, of, of Foucauldian scholarship, but with a sort of psychoanalytic inflection in the sense that 
I'm looking at the question of sex as a mode of administration. So a mode of domin dominating bodies, a mode of administering bodies, a mode of organising human beings such that they don't even know that they're being organised, so that it becomes sort of imbibed form of, of domination. And I think that the what I'm interested in at the moment is, is, is looking at how sexuality and the sort of pornification of, of culture operates, you know, obviously on the obvious level of obvious sexuality, but also on the level of uh, knowledge and, and information and the way that the sort of obscenity of knowledge and information has become a, a kind of way of life that people uh, happily step into, you know, we happily sort of um, pornificate ourselves and allow our, all of our um, thinking and doing to be transparent um, to power, as it were, at all times. So Apartheid Politics is a book I'm writing at the moment that looks at various different ways that, that we can observe this in, so in society. That sounds really interesting. I look forward to that. As a final question, obviously we've, we've spoken about applying psychoanalysis, the, the thinking of the likes of Lacan, Foucault and others to sort of uh, modern technologies and such. To what extent is it, could the dynamic be seen as psychoanalysis as evolving as much as the, the sort of current, maybe I put that the wrong way, in the way that not simply applying these frameworks but these frameworks themselves evolving throughout, mm. if that makes sense. Yes, I think that they definitely do uh, need to evolve and should evolve. And in fact, I think part of the psychoanalysis of AI was also to, to sort of provoke psychoanalysis to also move with the times. And in fact, part of what I was interested in doing is, is looking at some sort of concepts from Lacanian psychoanalysis and, and shifting from some of the old, very well-trodden concepts, like for example, the object A, that I'm sure people have heard before very often in psychoanalytic texts. Of course, a very important concept to sort of signify the idea of the, the impossible object of desire that provokes subjectivity, provokes uh, desire itself. But what I was interested in, in the question of artificial intelligence and the, the, the incursion of AI onto the body was to look at a different concept that's in Lacan uh, called the Lathus, or the Latus, or Lathouse, however anyone wants to pronounce it, which is a neologism that he coined and briefly mentions in Seminar 17, but it, it is a very interesting idea that starts to think about what happens when the technological object is sort of part of the human body. So what happens when, for example, we have Neuralink, you know, we have chips inserted in the brain, for example, I mean, it's not happened yet, but things like Black Mirror imagine scenarios where human beings' drives, i.e. their scopic evocatory drives, are interfered with at a very intimate level before they can even start perceiving the world. And this really tinkers with psychoanalysis at a very basic right. level yeah. because it changes the way that we can even you know, interact with each other on a very uh, basic level. So I was interested to start thinking about how psychoanalysis needs to uh, change some of its basic concepts to um, accommodate some of the changes that may be happening in the future with, with, with things like AI. Wonderful. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Isabel Miller. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit ii.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait.
Auto Trader.